Kia ora koutou and welcome to Alice's Soapbox where we're getting loud for women and sports. This week it is my absolute pleasure to feature an icon of Wahine sports here on Aotearoa. Of course I am speaking Honey Hiramie Smiler. Now look, Honey could have been on the show for a number of episodes, let's be honest, but we are talking today to her about her one true love, rugby league, and about how sometimes we need to take the wrong paths in order to find our way to the right ones. So let us begin. So the first one is Nohiakwe. So, where are you from? Ah, he uriyo no waikato tainui me te aroa huki. Ah, e tipuake au ki Putaruru, te rohi a te kaokaoroa pātū tere. Born and raised in Putaruru, very proud of my uh, upbringing back down there. A true waikato uh, girl through and through. You absolutely are. <laughs> <laughs> and next one I've got for you is Nā Waikwe, which is, who are you of? Uh, I'm the oldest of my parents. Uh, Chippy Hunter is my dad, and Karen Ngariwa Hirume is uh, my mum. An interesting fact, obviously, you, as you know, all know me as Honey Hirume. Smiler now. Um, I grew up with the, my mum's maiden name from probably the age of 16 onwards, but prior to that, I was known at home back in Potaru as Honey Hunter my whole life. And Honey's actually my middle name. My first name is Aneta, so. It's kind of like got all these aliases. This is useful from what I've heard about the type of trouble you were when you were young. But anyway, I'll ask you your last uh, question to ground us, which is Ma Waikwe, for whom do you exist? Oh, okay. All right. Uh, for whom do I exist? Uh, I exist for my whanau. Um, mm. My three boys, my wife, my immediate whanau, my extended whanau, my hapu, my iwi. Uh, my culture, really. Uh, very yeah. proud Māori. Uh, very proud New Zealander. My dad is half European, so very proud of that heritage as well. There you go. See, that wasn't too hard. You just, I'm just putting you on the spot to begin, that's all. <laughs> yeah, right. Now the easy questions. Yeah. Um, you've obviously done, like, literally everything, honey. Like, are you aware while you're doing this stuff you're making history, or are you just like, oh, I just want to. I just want to go for a run with my mates. I think I've always been a kind of. I'll go with the flow, and that flow is always like honey flow. What does honey want to do? Being around people, meeting new people, challenging myself, um, all of those kind of things. I think played the biggest part. And I think once I sort of got a bug for it, then you just constantly chase that. You chase that. You. I always felt um, being out on the field, ball in hand, uh, was my happy place. And um, you know what? What I suppose lit my fire and um and it just you know I never sort of I suppose put myself in a box or set out to be um anything more than just just doing honey you um obviously joining sport to meet a lot of different people but you've met a lot of different versions of yourself through sport too right from all accounts it sounds like you were a bit of trouble when you first played you know and there was a whole kind of line that was attached to that too going along to your first camp not making grade, coming home, having a sock, you know, going down that path. But then if people talk about honey today, they're like, oh, the role model, oh, <laughs> the the mentor, oh, the like athlete that pushed her body into her, you know, 40s, like all of this type of stuff. Do you have to walk down like paths in order to figure out whether or not they're for you? Yeah, I do, to be honest. And if I was to, I suppose, um, if I think back, 
you know, right back from when I started, I was this typical tomboy that hated dresses, that did not want to be a girl, um, that was playing in a boys' league team and just wanted to be a boy and in with the boys. You know, that was from me from five through to probably 12, 13, 14 years old once I kind of got kicked out of those grades. And then started, you know, my teenage years and I was angry. I was angry. I was um, a bully. I was just everything that I felt like I needed to be with the ego as high as the sky tower and just angry, angry at the world. Um, but I constantly heard, I think, growing up, oh, um, man, they got all the talent, but just, you know, they'll, they'll, never, they'll never get anywhere with it. And I don't know why, but that just always stuck in my head. And so I was determined to like not be, I suppose, one of those statistics that didn't didn't follow through, didn't get, you know, make it to a black jersey or whatever. And I think that's kind of what drove me, um, mm. really. And then I suppose as you as you move through the ranks and um things got harder, definitely. But yeah, I still had the enjoyment factor there. And I always mm. liked to do things that I enjoyed, right? And if the enjoyment didn't quite line up with the hard basket and I fell out of that comfort zone, then I would lean towards, oh, okay, it's not fun anymore. Should I just should I just give up kind of thing? And I was probably very much that person. I know I was often told, you know, that I had all this natural talent, natural talent, but I was so mentally uh, weak. And I was yeah, typical, rely on all the natural talent and never put in any hard work. And that was a big chunk of my career, you know, like I knew what I was good at and I completely zoned in on that. And anything I wasn't good at, I didn't want to know about, you know, I made up excuse for. Um, and, you know, and I think back to all the people that I played with, like they'll be like, oh, yes, honey, you were totally that. These are teammates, coaches, everybody. They're like, oh, yeah, blooming honey. I was that. Uh, um Anger's been a, a feature in my life as too, which I'm sure is a surprise to no one, given that I'm a pretty, um, you know, the, the best things about you are the worst things about you too, right? Like that if you're a deeply passionate person, then sometimes that can go off in the wrong way. Where do you think that anger stuff came from uh, for you, honey? Yeah, it definitely came from my my childhood, my upbringing. You know, it wasn't it wasn't always easy at home. You know, alcohol was involved, violence was involved. Uh, for me and my brother, you know, we we were we were often caught up in that sort of stuff, and so I suppose you know, monkey see, monkey do. So I became quite, I suppose, violent in a sense, and you know, and and we got through that as a whanau, you know. And I'm so close to my dad now. Obviously, mum's gone, but you know, we we worked our way through, and it's and it's easy for people. Uh, to look from the outside in and think, holy, like that's full on. And it was full on, you know, I have to admit it was full on. But also in the same sense as that's what we knew back then and that was our normal. So, you know, for me it didn't seem, you know, anything. But obviously deep down it was it was, it was eating away at me. And, um, and so that's where I found myself mostly is out on the field. That's where I found um, my sense of belonging and um, where I was just most happy, you know, no worries in the world. All I had to do was run and bash into people and hopefully get around them and, and get some tries and make everybody happy. Well, people happy on my team anyway. So, I heard someone recently talking about anger as like, it's the great protector of an emotion, right? It's the hardest boundary that we hold when we haven't held boundaries. You know, it's the thing that when our back is at the wall, then that's there. It's there to protect us in the ways that we maybe didn't didn't look after ourselves before, you know, and that like actually at that center is a protection thing and is actually at the center of that protection, a feeling that you are worth it, you know, and mm. that I do deserve 
more and better. And so if you can dig underneath all of the rah, right, <laughs> and get to like what is in that core, which is like, okay, how do I cool it down and and listen to that before it comes out my mouth angry, you know, and, and hurtful to other people. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Like what are, what have been things that you've been able to, I guess, reframe to like not be, not be so inflamed at everything, I guess. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, we kind of grew up in an era where you didn't talk about how you were feeling. If, if um, you know, if things were happening at home, you didn't talk about that. If you were upset about something, you just, you know, we, we were very much, oh, suck it up, you know, suck it up and shut up kind of thing. So communication was a real struggle for me. So I never, you know, just kept everything inside sort of, and, you know, and then you'd explode. Um, and that, and that's what used to happen, you know. I think even culturally, you know, I was the oldest girl, so um, very very often sort of I suppose leaned upon to look after uh, my younger siblings or um, you know my little cousins and all of that sort of stuff. And you, you just did what you were told um, without you know having an opinion. And um, and you know, don't get me wrong, I, I had a smart mouth on me. Um, but you know, if, if that came out, you know, I soon heard about it with a pretty quick uh, backhand uh, to the mouth, and then you know that was that immediate response, and so you knew that um, you, you had to shut up. And so I think, in terms of reframing it and, and reflecting on a lot of it, is like actually learning how to speak, you know. And I think because I was in love with a game that was only allowed for boys, you know, I had to push that down even further. Being a girl, like I could not show that I was a girl as such kind of thing. And, you know, it cried or, you know, was any of those kind of, I suppose, things that attached me to being soft in any way. That was kind of not what I wanted. And and um, so a lot of that came down to that whole vulnerability and, and then just, I suppose, learning how to open up those spaces where you could communicate and um, and then having those honest conversations, the hard ones, hard ones, you know, that you had to sort of say, no, I'm, I'm not cool with that anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. And and with the with the people that you love the most, um, can be probably some of the most challenging conversations that I've had ever in my life. You know, as a 16 year old saying, Nah, I'm done with this. You know, no more, no more. Are we going to live like this as a Fano? You know, and sit down and trying to trying to raise that subject with your parents is, is pretty confronting. Yeah. Incredibly mm-hmm. brave too. Like incredibly brave. Yeah, I suppose it, t- it does take a lot. And um, I don't know, I've always felt a sense of responsibility when you're born the eldest, you know, mm-hmm. is that you actually, you need, you need to speak up because if you don't want, you know, your siblings or anybody else to go through this, you, you've got to actually speak up at some point. Um, and, it t- and it took some time to really be able to do that. I mean, I could speak up plenty of times to a teacher in, a, in the back of a classroom, had no trouble doing that. Um, but, yeah, when it came face-to-face with uh, with uh, people at home, yeah, not so much. So, yeah, but, yeah, we learn, A, we learn and we get through that. And, um, yeah, I have a lot of, just a, just a lot of respect for more so my dad and, and the changes that, you know, I think we made as a whānau and he made specifically to, you know, to continue to have the amazing relationship that we do now. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really special, right? To be able to just not let that story be the whole story, eh? And and have mm-hmm. a have a next chapter of it. Man, you've had to ha- um, live some big things with both of them, hey? Because I guess I'm thinking about with your mum and the role that you took with her as her carer um, mm-hmm. when she became sick. 
and well, we that's another whole big emotion that you're then taking on in that space. Like, talk to me about the things that you learned at that time. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is um, I think when you lose a parent, um, you know, that you've grown up with your whole life or, or you know your parent is unwell um, with any kind of, I suppose, terminal illness and you get that time, you then start to realise actually how much you adore, you know, how much they have been your role model, how they've been your rock, right? And I think... For me, caring for mum was was um, was a privilege. It was a way in which I could give back, knowing that these are these are going to be her last moments on earth, um, and this is how I can show my mum how grateful I am for the job that she's done to me in terms of raising me. And the other side of it is just a real sense of humility. And when I say humility, I mean it in a sense that when mum died, I felt so alone, and you feel just like really exposed and and that was the the initial feeling that I felt I felt so exposed like she just wasn't there where I was expecting her and I'd come to 39 years of life um that she was just always going to be there and you never kind of think oh what if they're not going to be there anymore and, and that was a real realization I felt completely exposed like I was just now left to this world on my own and mums and daughters just have this completely uh, unique and different relationship, I think. And um, although, you know, I was probably more daddy's girl growing up, but yeah, you know, as I, I suppose got older, you know, grew like a real close relationship with mum. So it was probably my real realization in terms of, oh man, you know, anything can be taken away from you at any one time. I feel like life just kind of slowed down after that. And it was a lot, I had so much more self-awareness, you know, just starting to reflect back in and what, what's actually important, I suppose, was the biggest thing. What's important in life right now? Yeah, it's a gift of clarity in a way, isn't it? When something big, when you're in a big moment like that, there's no question about where you need to be. But then I guess when they are gone, man, you can get lost in that, 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 clarity that was such a focus and all energy is going into that space and then just the drift the drift that happens afterwards like how do you how do you hold on to yourself I guess during that period yeah look in my situation there wasn't a lot of time to really drift off what less than a week later um, back straight back into the Kiwi Pins obviously I missed the whole NRL season with the Warriors um, but had this World Cup nines that I had to then front up and jump on a plane and and captain the, the New Zealand team, you know, and still so um, deeply set in my grief and, you know, unsure of is this even the right decision to be going away? Like, can I actually give myself, you know, am I actually going to do this this black jersey justice first and foremost, you know, can, can I actually be that? I mean, physically I was fine. Uh, emotionally and spiritually, I was out the gate, you know. And so I yeah. really had to, I suppose, lean on, um, you know, when I, when I think of Te Whare Tapafa, the physical side, um, the whānau side, because I still had a whole lot of whānau support, you know, encouraging me, like, this is what mum would want, you need to go along. But spiritually, I, I knew, you know, I, I had a lot of work to do, so... Um, you know, I, I gave 110%, you know, at that time when I went away for that nines 
um, obviously, you know, we were, we were, we were, I wouldn't say lucky enough. We worked really hard and we won that. And that was huge. That was massive for us. Um, but I think, you know, that whole time that I was away, there was this piece of me that was just missing mm-hmm. with a mum's passing had made me just lose a small piece of passion for the game and actually being out there. Um, yeah, I think that was that was the start of me knowing, actually, I think my time's done. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting, eh, because, I mean, there's the role that you're playing within the team, but there's also the role in terms of speaking and doing mm. post-match and interviews and all that type of stuff. And, I mean, I think about that with you now. I mean, you are a primary carer for your wife, who is, you know, unwell and that you are in that space and you are stepping out and going to work and being shiny honey. Like how is it that you manage being both of those people? Yeah, probably a lot of compartmentalizing stuff <laughs> yeah. really. You know, I say, oh, you've got to take that poor tie off and put this poor tie on and just zone in and watch you there for what's the purpose you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? That's always my question that I go to. Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, do I still want to be here kind of thing? In the moment I um, I can't wholeheartedly uh, give 100% to something, then I'm probably ready to, you know, that that's when I start to, I suppose, shift. And it was probably definitely the, uh, the moment where I knew I was going to retire as well. If I'm not wholeheartedly here, and more specifically wholeheartedly giving everything to my country and that juicy, then I, 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 don't, I don't want to be here you know, half pie. I've never enjoyed doing things half pie. Um, and so if I can't give my full self and my full energy, my full passion and commitment to something, um, you know, that's when I'll, I'll start to pull pull back or say no. You know, I've, I've, I live a life of service and I do want to give back and I know um, my journey and my pathway and, and, and everything that I've done in the past, I want to share that and I always want to share that to, to help people, you know, if they can tune in or they relate to anything that maybe I'm going through personally or that I've been through or um, that they may aspire to, whatever that might be, then I, I want to do that. You know, it's, it's again that need of service and that of wanting to help. Can I be nosy? How did you and um, Rochelle meet? Rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in the same team, opposite teams? What was the story? I was actually coaching her team <laughs> and um, she'd come through the development team because she was sort of new to Hamilton and things like that. Um, we were we were the same age, but also she was a solo mum raising two boys. I had my boy. It, there was just a lot of similarities there and, and we kind of got on. We were probably the mature ones of the team as well <laughs> and that, that kind of helped. So, um, yeah. I'm just thinking, where do I want, where do I want to take you? I guess it's this whole thing of um, there is a real uh, interesting thing that's going on right now where it feels like rugby league, particularly domestically, is moving at a rate of knots um, when we're talking about, I guess, the level up around uh, beyond grassroots, that next level. Before national teams, that meet in the middle where, like, really passionate rugby league players live in that domestic space. And, man, rugby union is... Having an interesting relationship to it, eh? People, people like me are anxious because I don't think we're doing a, a good job in union at, at putting our best foot forward. So I'm anxious about us losing people over there. But then I'm also hearing from 
um, Chris Lendrum that apparently they're quite happy for NRL um, W to be a, a pathway into the Blackford. So it's like, but then I also hear from players that they're told off by their coaches, you know, that they're playing for Waikato and they're getting into trouble for playing league because they're not being picked for FPC. So it's like, this must be weird for you, who is quite confidently like, lived and thrived and enjoyed both sports to be like, can mum and dad stop fighting? <laughs> I just think it's um, it, it's a little bit sad in the sense that the, that the players that are coming through now probably still face the same struggles that I faced, you know, going through. And there was always this um, sense of like um, – you know, the, the, the poor cousin rugby league yeah. to the big bad uh, rugby union. Um, but any time there was any kind of clashes with anything, there was never resist- resistance from rugby league. Like they were like, okay, sweet, you can work both. And that they were completely open to it versus rugby that were like, you know, ultimatums, ultimatums, ultimatums. Like, and it was, it was just, you know, frustrate the crap out of me because now, you know, one sport is controlling it. And, you know, I'm not getting paid for either. So, you know, <laughs> actually, I'm, go- I'm going to where I'm going to have more fun. Um, yeah, and, and just, to, you know, the the, com- the competition, you know, has has ramped up and it feels like, you know, the, these NSOs, or if you like, can be quite selfish, you know. It's not about yeah. the athlete and, and what's what's the best suit for them, you know. It's actually, actually, we just want you for own and it's not just a, a sport to be honest sometimes it's the coach it comes right down to the coach we just want you for us I, I need you for my team so I can win you know but actually what's best for the athlete in terms of their growth in terms of their potential in terms of you know can they make money you know to support their families you know there's all of those things that come with it so it is quite frustrating and I know to this day like, I'm constantly getting some of our new athletes coming through saying oh look um you know, I've got got this issue where, you know, I've been asked to play for this team, but also I've been offered uh, a contract with this team and I'm not sure what we'll do. And and to be honest, my stock standard answer for that, and if I know that person well enough, it's like, mate, you've just got to do what you love, you know, do what's best mm. for you. Um, and I, I really en- enjoy seeing the Tyler Nathan Wongs, the Shay Robbins, Ritty, the Niall Williams, all of them, you know, just just doing what they want to do you know um, and also having control of that you know we're in female sport and we do it differently we don't have to you know sign a contract like it maybe a, a, a super rugby or an all black does and stay there you know let's embrace that let's embrace that also you're one of those people I guess because of the time that you came in and played like I guess like being that bridge between that past and those current players, is that something that you like? I guess take responsibility for. I think it's something that I'm super grateful for because you're right. You know, I I did come into an era with lots of those like, like you say, those superstars. You know, when I was when I was 15, 16, playing women's rugby or women's rugby league, and then the big superstars were out there: the Trish Heaners, the mm. the Tammy Wilsons, the Oh gosh, so many Vanessa Coots, you know, all of that 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 kind of era. There were so many of them, and I was just like, man, these are superstars, you know. And then, and then I because of, I suppose longevity, and I stayed in the game for so long, I got to see the the new group of superstars come through, and, and the likes of the Porsches and the Stacys and and all of that, and the Caitlin Vahakolo, you know, and like it's a real privilege to be able to 
I suppose, um, connect and operate and and mix in with those two, I suppose, different eras um, of in both rugby and rugby league. And I, and I love that. And I was, I was probably, I know when I was sort of coming towards the end of my um, playing days, I took the sense of responsibility that, you know, that we acknowledge the, the legacy and the players that have been before, you know, and I remember at the 2017 World Cup, I did up this little video and, you know, just to create a, a, a bigger picture for our players that were coming through who, you know, were on debut that World Cup year so they could see where this where this jersey had been and what this team had come from and just pay tribute to that, you know, because it's huge. Um, and I suppose even though I was very much still one of those players that paid my own way, um, you know, we got a backpack and one tracksuit and one T-shirt that we had to keep washing in the bathtub for the next day of training kind of thing. And you never got a pair of shorts. You were told, bring your own black shorts, you know. And it was okay because you got a free T-shirt and a jacket or whatever it was. Um, to then, I suppose, fast forward and you're getting, you know, Adidas kit from here to Africa and all these pairs of boots, um, you know. And it was just, uh, yeah, I always thought it was a real... Um, a real privilege to be, I suppose, um, in the game from that era and then right through to, you know, what's what's been offered now. That's the reason why you sacrificed. That's the re- because you weren't doing all of that stuff in the hopes that the next wave of players had to do the same rubbish. I think it's really important what you're touching on there around, like, uh, the way that we talk about young people as being entitled. It's like, well, what they've what they now take for granted is what you fought for. Right, like, exactly. and that good, and that means that they will fight for other things that, like, we might think is, oh, that's a bit like icing on the cake. Like, are you taking a bit of a piss? But like, isn't that good too? Like, they're they they have now expect a level of respect that was not there. That now they can ask for something else that to us seems radical, but that's exactly how it should be. Yeah, exactly. I, I completely agree. And, you know, when you say, you know, entitled, right, and, like, mm. I think it's, you know, we, we can sit back and, and feel like these new these new athletes coming through and they're, you know, getting in these black jerseys and they're getting all this gear and they're all over social media. And there is, I suppose, that um, perception that they, they look entitled but actually, when you dig down deep to some of these these young athletes coming through, man, they're playing the game for the same reason, you know? Yeah. And they are working their asses off. They are working hard to get there. Now, it was so much harder to get those kind of honours, to make those kind of teams and squads, you know, because of how much the game has evolved. Exactly. And it's like also, you know, while we might see them being given more, they're also having to give more. Like there oh, are yes. there are challenges that they're facing through their career that I just have no perception of. And that, that, yeah. That's the day and age. That's the era of you know of the, the athletes that are playing sport now. You know, like they are so wide open for critique. Like you know, I don't even know if there's a video cassette around somewhere of my debut for the Kiwi Ferns. You know, like. Yeah, you know. So, but now you see these new players coming out debuting on an at Eden Park, being played out to the world. You know, all over social media. You know, this it's big time for them. You're right. I think there's a real sense of responsibility to, um, you know, with our game, our female sports have they've gone through enough struggle. They don't need the commentary team. You know, 
running it down, running, running, the sport down, running, the players down or anything like that. You know, I always say it's a, it's a real sense of uh, responsibility to promote our games, to promote our competitions, to promote our players. Again, talk about, um, excuse me, can you calm down in all of your jobs? What do you do in terms of prep? I, I've got my desk, like, these are all <laughs> the different competitions, teams. I've got, like, Opiki, NRL, Warriors, all yeah. sorts all going on here. And once the competitions roll back around again, it's, you know, I need to reflect back on this stuff. So I'm probably the, the over-prep guy, you know, that writes pages and pages and then use about two two little paragraphs of all these pages of notes but for me that prep's got to come the more prep I do the more confidence I get and then I just walk up like cool I know my stuff yeah oh no that's cool I mean it's just interesting right because it's like it's a whole other different like skill set and everything that you're having to learn along the way and being vulnerable in the way that you're having to do that too are there are there games like what's your favorite team to call who where do you like I'm fizzing every time I get them Oh, you know, obviously the Black Ferns and the Kiwi Ferns is always like a massive, like I'm just so privileged if, if I'm asked to do any of those kind of games. Um, or, you know, just, it's, I suppose it's moments, you know. There's, there's not yeah. really a special team as such. It's just a game, you know. When you it, – it's it's a feeling that when you leave the commentary box, if you like, when you leave the commentary box, you think, man, it was awesome. Like, oh, I just got this fire in my belly. It's the same when you walked off the field as a player. It's like, oh, man, it was awesome. I've got a fire in my belly, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, what I love about you in those spaces is that um, you don't always agree because, man, it drives me nuts when I'm watching it and everyone is just kind of nod- nodding along. Uh, and then Honey will speak. <laughs> <laughs> and give your two cents. Has that been something you've had to work your way up to or have you always just liked being contrary, I guess? No, I think I um, it was definitely something I, I had to work on. You know, I remember some of those first couple of seasons um, – sitting on a panel and just you know totally being a bandwagoner somebody said don't be a bandwagoner don't just agree if you don't agree and you can feel it you can feel it in your puku you know don't agree you know and then I'd be literally sitting there nodding like and you just can feel yourself agreeing but in your gut it's like don't 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 but you know it's live so just like okay kind of thing it took me a while it took me a while um but Mm. I remember this one time that I, you know, I suppose finally went against the grain a little bit and I started with, you know what, JK, I disagree with you. <laughs> and, then like, <laughs> and, then in my, and then I looked at him and then in my, in my, and then I was like, shut up, honey, what are you doing? Like kind of thing. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, what did you just say out loud kind of thing? And um, that was kind of my first realisation actually. I'm going to start actually saying what I what I genuinely think. And I remember watching that moment back and you almost saw me go, like, put my hand on my hip and go, like, you know what, JK, I, do, I have to disagree with you on that, you know. And then it was like there's that instant second where I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> kind of like my <laughs> panic. And then I just jump on it and, like, give him, you know, or give, you know, the panel the reasons as to why I disagree with whoever the player is that we we're talking about. And I think that was probably like, I don't know, whether it was a starting point or just a realisation, now I'm giving my opinion. Actually, this is actually what yeah. I think. So, yeah, that was, yeah. was kind of cool. <laughs> I've got – um. Some questions at the end here, mate, that I ask everybody. So I'm going to run through them with you now. Yeah. Right. Um, 
<laughs> these ones are not as hard as those openers, I don't think. Right. Um, and so, like, one of the things that I ask all of the athletes is about their tuakana and their taina. So the, you know, women that I guess have influenced your journey within the sport. And so I guess starting with your tuakana, like, thinking about who it was that was your big sister that when you joined the sport, like, really pulled you in and influenced your experience of it. Good question. Well, look, look, without a doubt for me, it goes back to this amazing lady back home, Annie Brown. She was always, I suppose, um, she was there from her very first debut in women's rugby league for the Batataru Dragons as this little teenager and just, you know, always was always encouraging, knowing all the shit I used to get into back home. She knew I was a little freaking horror, but that ne- never you know, that never faced her, you know. I'd still front up on a Sunday, probably super hungover, you know, hadn't trained all week, all of that kind of stuff. And she'd be like, hey, come along, you know, come and play sort of thing. And it was just those little skill things that she kind of offered or those little pieces of advice, you know. And now so she's just, I suppose, been there right from the beginning. That's epic, eh? It's so important. Like those type of women, again, before before we had posters, before we had programs, before we had paychecks, we had those po that held the things together, right? And that they were the ones that, like, yeah, held it all up so that we could climb higher, eh? So we always have to yeah, have to put that love on them. What about um, Tina? Who's a little sister that's coming through right now that you're like, oh, we, I just love to see what you're up to? Um, no surprises. My little, my little twin lookalike. Um, as I constantly get mistaken for. Um, well, look, Stace has just been someone that I think um, we just naturally migrated towards as each other when I first met her as this little cheesy kid sort of hovering around in the background there. And she always reminds me of the first time she played against me. She was like 16 and you know, I was just running all over the top of her with, with no concern whatsoever. And, and I think more so once she moved here, um, and, you know, sort of got involved with our stuff here and, yeah, just sort of took her under my wing, you know, and I um, I like to think that, you know, I've supported her to come through and, and help develop her in a way, in a sense, but also I think it's been quite, you know, mutual. I think, you know, as I was becoming an older athlete in the teams when we were playing alongside of each other, she would always just do something or say something that would, like, switch me into you know, actually stay young in my in my thinking because I could get real ho-ha, right? Like, so let's do an icebreaker, things like that. And I'd be like, oh, I'm <laughs> that stuff. You know, like, let's have a social committee. Let's do this and let's do that. <laughs> I need my rest, you know, and she would keep me young. But she'd be like, come on, come on, honey, let's go. So I, I really enjoyed that about Stacey. She just, yeah, she just brings so much passion and um you know, and, and the thing with Stacey is she's authentic through and through. You know, she is who she is. She's, you know, she's well immersed in her in her um, upbringing. You know, she always gives back to her whanau. So I see the similar traits between the two of us. So, yeah, it'd have to be little Stacey. Stacey Walker, who had the, um, I still believe, was the player of the final at the Rugby World Cup. Um, you know, I know technically the Wahei was named it, but I've told Lou this, that I fully believe. I've never seen Stacey play like that, but she was on another level that game, and thank goodness for all of us. Now, this um, 
This podcast is called Alice's Soapbox because I love a soapbox. As you know, I love climbing up and having a rant about things. <laughs> it's, you know, it's the yeah. brand. Um, what's something that you would want to soapbox about rugby league that you'd want people to make sure that they heard you about? Oh, yeah, look, I think in terms of um, rugby league, it's, it's just a game for everybody, you know, and I just... I love the growth that's happening at the moment. You know, we're about to kick off next year with the NRLW Warriors um, and there's pathways here. So stick with it, like, you know, stick with it and just believe that your sport can take you somewhere, whether that be rugby league or rugby, to be honest, but it, it, it actually can. Rapid fire for you. This is easier. TikTok or Instagram? See, easy question. Instagram. There you go. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Mm. Would you rather wake up super rich or super fit? Super fit. <laughs> uh, who's a past teammate or coach that you miss? Um, I miss Bindi. I miss Linda Aitanu. She just was always just good vibes to be around. I know I used to annoy the heck out of her. Um, but she'd put up with me. Um, yeah, just a real good vibes person. You know, gave her big sweaty hugs. I could mock her and she'd take it for what it is. And uh, I just love teasing her and, and being a whole to her because she's always cool. <laughs> I mean, nice. her and the, um, and the Blues woman this year, honestly, I'm picking Blues to play um, Opeki final. I just think they've got the right mixture, the right energy. And with um, Bindi and that coaching set up too, I'd say watch them, watch this space. Um, do you have a game day superstition back when you used to play? Was there anything you had to do? Yeah, I had to listen uh, to my song. Um, always used Put to have to play my song, uh, which was um, All I Do Is Win by DJ Khaled. Um, and I always used to have to do my little look up into um, the sky and acknowledge um grandparents and my mum and my cousin sister Shana those were kind of my four four angels I'd always look up to and be like okay look after me and ground you and away you go you've answered another question which is which song you're adding to the playlist so you're adding um or like yep perfect we've taken that one off well the other one is (laughs) um, I think the song's called yeah and I used to like it because it used to put me in that real oh yeah from soldier boy yeah you know, oh yeah, because it used to make me think of fending, like yeah, true, yeah. <laughs> Vision people like flying off me with my fend. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, what's a, what's a sporting event that you most want to attend as a fan? Oh, um, that's easy. Serena Williams, a tennis game, whatever yeah. tennis game. They, I don't know what the competitions are. I just want to watch Serena Williams <laughs> play tennis. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, your last question, and thank you so much for your time, uh, is what is the least athletic thing you did this week? Um, the least athletic and one of my most favourite things to do, the sunbathe. <laughs> Has it been good enough weather? I would be a professional sunbather if I could. I don't actually <laughs> like getting any darker because I'm quite dark at the moment. Um, I just love sunbathing. 
Oh, that, that's epic. Hey, thank you so much, honey. I like appreciate what an open book you always are. A big thank you once again to Honey for joining us today and for just being the beautiful person that she is, sharing as she does. I know we all now will appreciate more all the prep that she's putting in to call the big moments for us in our living rooms. But in the meantime, if you want to continue this conversation, jump over to our social media pages where women's sports in all the best places. I'll see you in the comments section. <laughs>